Welcome back to another episode of the Lead with Data podcast with myself, Rena Gami. In addition to being a podcast host, I also lead a business intelligence and data analytics recruitment practice. This is the podcast where I bring you some of the most talented data leaders who have contributed in significant uplift of BI and data analytics capabilities in some of the most progressive organizations across Australia. I want to share the stories of their careers, challenges they faced, and the reality of how the recent pandemic may or may not have impacted their roles and responsibilities in their current organizations. Here's where we get to learn what some of the professionals in this field are doing right now. Welcome back to another episode of Lead with Data. On the show today, I'm joined by Lexi Sido. Lexi is the Head of Insights for an organization called Data AI. Data AI are a platform that bring together consumer data and market estimates. They help organizations, brands, publishers, and investors with strategies to help them succeed using the mobile and digital ecosystem. On the show today, we're gonna cover off a few things around what's happening in the Australian market, what makes the Australian mobile market unique? You know, what does um, data fuel? What does a data fueled mobile strategy look like? How it can help impact and grow your business, um, and also the things that organisations should be considering when they're looking to adopt or optimise their mobile strategy. I hope you enjoy the show as much as I did. Thank you so much, Lexi, for joining me today. Uh, thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Lovely. Um, look, as I always do, um, you know, I always like to give an introduction, but I never do it justice. So I'll probably, uh, you know, flip, flip that over to you and get you to give us a bit of an introduction um, of your background and perhaps a little bit about your current role and the company that you're working for. Awesome. Sure. Um, I'm Lexi Cito. I lead um, the Insights Department at Data AI. Uh, we are a company formerly known as App Annie in the industry, and we provide mobile data and analytics um, from everything from um, getting users into your app, like consumer trends, competitive marketplace, um, and competitive benchmarking, um, all the way through sort of how you engage users and monetize and kind of span all sorts of verticals. We cover gaming and retail and fintech and the whole sort of app ecosystem. Um, yeah, so I, I've been there for about seven years, um, started as an analyst um, in the earlier days. And uh, prior to that, I've uh, worked as a research assistant for the Environmental Protection Agency in the US. Um, and I've worked in some product and marketing roles uh, in data around fintechs and some marketing SaaS companies in the US and Australia. Um, did a little bit of consulting uh, for some performance agencies in the data side. Um, so pretty much live and breathe data for a very long time. <laughs> oh, lovely, lovely. And in terms of your actual role, because head of insights can mean a lot of different things in different organizations. What's the core, um, you know, what's the core focus for you in your role? What is it that you sort of deliver? Are you internal facing? Are you external facing? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Um, and you're right, it, it can vary quite a, a lot. So for us, the insights function at, at our company, since we're a company that provides data um, and we're selling a software tool that has data 
um, embedded throughout. So our team essentially are kind of power users of that data, and we put it out to the market in a way that serves um, largely the marketing function to help get leads and thought leadership and kind of power voice and share voice in the market, as well as help move some of those leads down the funnel um, to help get people for the sales team to convert to customers. Um, that's the main sort of goal of, of the Insights team is that kind of public-facing thought leadership and and basically a really strong illustration of, of the power of what you can do with our data. So we sort of batch um, analysis of all the data that we have and we um, strategize on what stories you want to tell. And then we look at like what's the most compelling angles and what's really what people should know, what movements are happening in the market. And then we will um, do the data visualizations and kind of write up the, the points about why this is compelling. Um, yeah, so more externally facing in that regard. Yeah, fantastic. Um, and without giving away, you know, t- too many of your secrets, wh- where ha- where do you get this data from? So we have um, some proprietary algorithms. We are a um, AI based company, mm-hmm. and so what we do, um, there's a number of different inputs, but we basically um, feed it into our algorithm and we generate estimates on the market. So uh, we're very proud of our, our accuracy of estimates. We've been cited in um, you know, public statements by Apple um, and some other big players in Google. So we really, um, you know, there's a lot of validity in sort of the, the way, the accuracy of which we're forecasting these estimates. Um, but that's it. It's, it's, it's estimates at the end of the day. So it's the best way to kind of get a, a view into the market um, with accuracy based on um, sort of some proprietary um, algorithms. Excellent, excellent. Thank you for sharing that. Um, and, you know, I think with um, every data leader I speak to, you know, there's usually a couple of things in their career that's sort of shaped who they are. If I were to ask you what those couple of, or, you know, one or two moments were, what would they be? Ooh. <laughs> um, I think one of the big things, I mean, a highlight by far has been um, sort of taking over the team and leading the team. I think that that's been um, a different side of the coin and there's a lot more strategy and um, sort of managing the analysts and how we you know, produce what we produce and trying to do it more efficiently. And we're a global company, but we're a very small, lean team within a company. Mm-hmm. So um, we're balancing sort of the needs of a very global base, as well as um, lots of different verticals. I mean, mobile virtual touches virtually every um, industry that there is. Um, so I think that's been something that I found um, really satisfying and, and rewarding. Um, so definitely a highlight. Um, I think some other milestones. I never loved public speaking, uh, but in this role, I've I've done a lot of it um, yeah. with uh, with uh, journalists and events and things. Um, in just past year, um, I was very happy and proud to present at Venture Beats Game Game Speak Conference, which was really cool. Um, that was a really fun event. Gaming is a very um, advanced uh, sector yeah. of the mobile economy. There's a lot of very, um, you know, strategic and mature um, analysis going on. So that was pretty great. Um, yeah. And I think the other side of it is we we, we put out a state of mobile every year. Um, it's our biggest report and it's really, um, we, we sort of lead the charge and the strategy and the go-to-market of that report. And it uh, it's it's quite fun to see the industry 
take hold. I think it's it's really carved out a really nice place in the industry, and a lot of people anticipate it. Um, you know, they call it like the the encyclopedia or the Bible of mobile. Like, there's so much in yeah. it. Um, so I think that's been a really fun project over the years to evolve and grow. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I think those those have been some some really strong growth areas too. Yeah, excellent. Thank you for that. Um, and there's another question I always like to ask. And look, I've, I've, we've probably picked up from what you said that you're obviously very passionate about data, but what are you most passionate about when it does come to data? Yeah, I think um, I think the biggest thing for me is, is that it's data plus the storytelling side. I think um, without the kind of impactful insights that you can draw out of the data, I mean, the data doesn't go anywhere. Um, you know, I think that you can do all the amazing analysis in the world, but if you can't communicate the why and what what's useful about it and show it in a compelling fashion that's clear and understandable um, and very tangible and actionable, then it, it won't drive that impact that you need it to drive at an organization or um, in your strategic plan. And so I think that's a really key part of, of, of data. And I think the insights function as a whole, um, especially when it's really easy, I think, to make, to get a lot of data and all of a sudden you're excited and it can be very complex. Um, and I think the challenge is that um, finding the simplest, easiest to understand view. Um, and picking that one point you need to hit home, because oftentimes um, a lot of the data visualizations I see in the space, um, and I've done this myself, um, they're, they're so complex. You can tell five different stories, but then you don't tell any story because it's there's too much going on. Um, so I think that that's, that's where, for me, the real power comes from. Um, and that can be externally facing like what my team does, or it can be, you know, internally, like mm-hmm. you want to communicate why you need to change or pivot or add that feature to your product or not. Um, and, and really the, the key action point is when you can make the case visually and with very tangible, actionable uh, takeaway. And that can be, that can be challenging. <laughs> that's the fun part. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that's, um, that's probably a constant challenge that you data leaders are, are sort of faced with, I suppose, you know, in, in every organization, it, it's about um, talking to people like me who've got no idea or, or, or not no idea, but probably don't really understand the data in detail and how we can use that to help drive decisions. Because I think, like you said, if you try and overcomplicate it, we'll just revert to gut feel and go, we're just going to do what we've always been doing because it works um, without really taking the time to understand it. So I think, um, yeah, I think you're, you're spot on there. It's about picking something and then really driving, driving that, but sort of trying to see trying to get your audience to see the value of what you're doing and what it means for them. I think that's probably the the biggest challenge, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. Well, look, I I was really excited when you offered to uh, come on the podcast because I think some of the um, market um, insights that you've got are going to be really interesting for the audience to hear about. Um, And we talked about a few different things, um, you know, when we we caught up about what we wanted to focus on. Um, And, um, you know, I think it would be really great if you could share with the audience, you know, what, from your perspective, what you feel makes the Australian market um, Australian mobile market unique comparatively to the global market. Absolutely. Um, we this is it's quite a fun sector to look at because um, there's sort of 
a couple of different stages that many markets kind of hit. So there's, um, we look at kind of a maturity model in the industry, like where's, I know there's oftentimes within a country, you know, there might be multiple stages, but generally what we see is, you know, in the early days of the app stores and of cell phones or you know mobile phones, smartphones, we saw a huge amount of downloads in markets that were kind of more mature markets like Australia, the US, UK. Um, and then as time goes on, you start to see that in those markets, it's less about getting new downloads and it's more looking at the engagement of those apps and then eventually like how they're monetizing users and the services they're providing. Um, and so I think Australia is a really interesting market because Australia has one of the highest um, consumer spend as, as a total market, which is really impressive because, um, you know, it's a relatively small population wise. Yeah. Um, and so in H or actually in Q1 of this year, uh, across iOS and Google Play app stores, Australia was ranked number nine. Uh, globally for total spend as a country. So above France, above Brazil, um, this is app store spend. So it's when you buy, you subscribe to a subscription, like a fitness or a dating app subscription, or you pay for like a an in, in-app purchase that's usually like a microtransaction in a game. Like you pay to get, unlock a few more gems so that you can level up or something like that. Um, and so that's, that's impressive because they're really sort of, as a market, punching above their weight. And then when you drill down into a, a per device spend, so for each device in Australia, um, it the, the monthly spend um, per person or per device rather, mm-hmm. um, Australia ranks fourth in the world. So Japan is the first. Yeah. Um, the US is number two, uh, followed by Korea on iOS, on, on Google Play, Korea um, is sort of number two and US is number three. Yeah. Um, and then Australia is fourth. Yeah. Uh, which is oh, wow. pretty impressive. So basically, you know, the consumers are spending a lot in mobile. So they're getting, they're using mobile phones a lot. The services they're getting from them, um, they value enough to, you know, part with that dollar for that exchange, but they're also um, choosing to do it on a mobile device. So, you know, you can subscribe to different services online or you can um, usually through a website, but the ease and simplicity of like managing that through the one app store uh, purchasing, we've seen that increase in over the years, um, and Australia is no exception to that. And actually, one like a very strong adopter of that behavior, um, mm-hmm. and so that that's pretty compelling. I think any we tend to see publishers will will soft launch games or apps in Australia because it's a very similar market to the U.S. For instance, but it's smaller. So if something messes up it's going to have less of an impact just because yes. there's fewer people. Um, so you'll see that happen, but as well, it's a very strong market for um, monetizing your services or engaging users in a way, you know, um, big apps, you know, Amazon and Sheen for shopping. Like we see them come to Australia, even though it's a small population, but it's also a highly mobile engaged population. So you see a lot of mobile first players targeting the Australian market. Um, And the last sort of stat that I think is really great is that uh, Australians spend on average uh, 4.6 hours per day on their mobile devices. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's up 35% from two years prior. uh, So right before the pandemic onset. And what we've seen is that it wasn't, it didn't quite accelerate. Pretty much every market time spent on mobile accelerated during that lockdown period, essentially. Um, but then in Australia, it actually it really kept going. So it shows that the habits uh, on mobile are sticking. People are using it still a lot more than they did. So whether that's watching shows or ordering groceries um, or dating, uh, you know, going through matches. <laughs> yeah. um, 
that's sticking around. And that, that's, a, that's a huge amount of time. It's more than um, the average for the US and the UK. Um, and that's, that says a lot about the kind of mobile savviness of the audience and the ability to you know, place ads on a mobile device to get their attention. And 4.6 hours a day is, is a huge amount of time on a phone. And we like to calculate it as um, over 30% of your waking hours, essentially. So that's yeah. that's pretty, that's a lot of time. <laughs> Absolutely. Do you think that could be related to that? Because I'm trying to understand why, um, you know, or how Australia's, you know, number four, because often, and, you know, I do a lot of recruitment, as you know, in the, on, on the tech side as well. You often hear that Australia is always a little bit behind the US and the, you know, European market when it comes to adopting technology and things like that. I mean, as an example, when when we migrated here, there are a few things in the banking world that we've been doing for years in the UK. And we came to Australia and we're like, why don't they do it here? Like, does fraud not happen here? Um, so I'm trying to understand what do you think cha- has changed the behaviours or contributed to the behaviours? Is it the fact that mobile phone technologies evolved in Australia or what do you think's contributed to that? Well, I think so the ranking number four is on the is sort of the per device spend and that's where Australians are basically um subscribing to you know meditation apps or to dating apps or to stand to binge through the their their app through the app on their phone versus doing it, say, through, you know, you know, Telstra has programs or things like that. Um, So I think that that behavior really speaks to you about people using their phone as like a life admin tool. (laughs) You've got it as that way, like you're managing your life through it. You know, your payments are all flowing. um, It's secure. It's frictionless. um, You can also manage your subscriptions, I think, a lot easier when you Mm. when you do them all through the app stores, because you can just go in and toggle on and off versus I don't know about you. But when I've subscribed to things, I'm like chasing down the email and the password and trying to figure out how do I cancel this now? And so I I think that that's a big, big trait, but that's similar to the U.S. as well. We see that. Um, And I just I think a lot of it can be just the adoption of of what they're spending money on. We see dating and entertainment apps are really big, um, fitness as well, and then games is a huge portion. And in Australia specifically, the games that um, tend to be in the breakout charts for spend are often actually gambling and casino games, Mm -hmm. uh, which is unique to other markets. You know, you do see that in New Zealand and a bit in Canada as well, um, in some European markets, but um, it's not that way everywhere. Um, Some of the top apps are, or the top games are different. Um, So I think that that layer is interesting as well. Yeah. Oh, thank you for that. Um, and why mobile? And why a data fuel mobile strategy? Why would organizations consider that? Yeah, I think the big thing, um, you know, years ago, we'd get that question a lot more. I think now a lot of businesses are very much like, okay, we get it. We need to we need to invest in this. And if we don't, we see that there's like a big opportunity. And I was speaking to a company yesterday, actually, um, who launched an app last year, was a retail company um, in Australia, and they were saying, um, "We everything's better in the app. We're, we're seeing better conversions. We're seeing bigger basket sizes. We're seeing uh, better retention. We're seeing a better, like, more satisfied user experience." Um, so those are all really great ways to kind of delight your customers. But 
at the end of the day, mobile has some of the biggest footprint in the world, um, especially in markets. If you're a company targeting overseas markets and on mobile, most will do that. Um, you know, it depends on finance is a little bit harder, obviously, with different financial laws in each country. But um, a lot of companies, gaming, social, health and fitness, um, they'll target other markets as well. And so I think that that's um, a big area is that mobile is very global. Um, last year, there were 230 billion downloads across the app stores globally. Um, so you're seeing there's a hunger and a need for more uh, services. Um, we also saw almost four trillion hours spent on Android phone devices last year, which is a huge amount of time just in aggregate. Um, and I think that that's it. It's, you know, mobile's more efficient. It's pretty ubiquitous. Um, it's more secure. You mentioned, you know, devices before hardware. I mean, our device specs are very sophisticated now. You can play um, really core competitive online multiplayer games on your phone against people playing on a PC, Mac console, um, which it, it took a little bit to get there on mobile. It wasn't immediate, obviously, but now yes. that's the reality. Um, and it, I think at the end of the day, the biggest thing is it's in the palm of your hand. Every consumer yeah. has it. You know, it's that one device we can't live without. It's always there. <laughs> and you you open up other channels as well. You can do things like push notifications or SMS deals. And I think that that's, I mean, that's another really compelling piece of it. It, it really is the access you have to consumers and the amount of time they're spending there. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Um, and in terms of, um, look, and you touched on it, I think it's just the simplicity and the ease of being able to just have everything on, on in the palm of your hands. I think that's probably, um, you know, led to this increase of, of mobile use. I mean, I know when we were doing our website as well, our website developers were absolutely adamant that you have to have a really user-friendly mobile app version of your website because they said these days, people do just go to their mobile. They won't go and log in and open up Google Chrome and Google your website. So it needs to be, um, I think it's, you know, it doesn't matter what industry you're in. I think it's, um, that that's usually the very first thing um, that, you know, web developers tell you now that you have to make sure your your mobile um, version is, is really, really good and engaging and um, you know, captures all the things that you want them to, you know, you want your users to be able to, to capture. So um, Absolutely. And I think that having that data fueled strategy behind your mobile experience is super important. Like knowing that competitive landscape, knowing um, what the market trends are. Are you capitalizing on those latest trends? Are they relevant to your base? Maybe that will surprise you. They might be very relevant. You didn't know it. Yeah. Are you prioritizing products? that have, you know, your user base has a high affinity for. Um, if you saw an uptick in growth on your product, is it something you did, like a product feature, a marketing push, or was it was it part of the market movement? Was there a trend in the market yeah. that you also, or did you, did you under-index to what the market did? Did something else happen and you guys, you know, were below? And I think there's some really interesting examples of like uh, how that data can pan out. So I was looking at grocery delivery user data in Australia. So for people who use grocery delivery apps, um, so it could be like Woolies or, you know, another provider. Um, surprisingly, the, the profile of these users in Australia is very different to other countries. So you actually see that the num one of the top uh, categories of apps that they sort of have an affinity for, or they're using more, um, they're more likely to use than the average person was uh, coupons and rewards. And that's very timely right now with 
inflation and concerns about the macroeconomic climate. Then you also see home and garden is a really high sector that people also look for. And that's different in the U.S. Pets and pharmacy and um, apps like chemists were more used by those grocery delivery providers. And then there's another interesting angle like we actually saw that grocery delivery users in Australia also over-index. They're twice as likely to also use astrology and horoscope apps. Oh, um, no. So there are these new kind of trends that show up. Um, in the U.S., grocery delivery app users used um, were more likely to use genealogy and ancestry products. So there are things knowing that means that you can also have offers or deals or promote those products in your grocery delivery Another key example is buy now, pay later. So in Australia, actually, and the US and UK, grocery delivery app users are roughly like two times more likely to use buy now, pay later apps. So that to me says, if you have a grocery delivery service um, or an app and you don't have the ability to integrate with a popular buy now, pay later platform, and then you, you'd want to double click into, well, what's the most popular one um, in Australia that I should be using? But um if you don't have that functionality, that could be something you would want to consider because it might um, increase the conversion rate at the checkout um, or possibly, you know, you might have some other downstream metrics with basket size or uh, even, you know, coming back more frequently. Um, so those are all really interesting things. That I think those are examples of how you would want to use that in a, in a mobile strategy, but you'd want to make sure it's a very data-based one to fuel those decisions. Definitely, definitely. I was talking to somebody actually today who comes from a retail background, data, uh, you know, sort of a senior data scientist um, uh, leader. And it was interesting, we were talking about some of the stuff that um, his team was sort of looking at was around the behaviours and um, what was leading, understanding the average um, spend on a basket. And it wasn't just what it ends up with. It's the journey that somebody's gone through and it's about understanding those metrics to help a business understand what consumers' behaviours are when they finally get to that basket. Because if you're anything like me, my basket starts off with everything I think I want and then throughout (laughs) the journey it will change and then I'll see something else and then I'll take something else out and then I'll add this and I'll see that. And so, you know, he was sort of saying that, you know, when you're dealing with, um, you know, the, the executives or the C-suites, um, they usually look at that and go, no, no, but that's been working. We we understand that this is our average, um, you know, consumer spend. It's based on the baskets and what they end up with. And they're like, no, 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 but are we understanding how we're getting to that and actually the average spend? And this, so I think you're right. There's so much more that's involved in that journey um, that only, yeah, only can be really taken from looking at the insights of the data and and yeah. all the touch points. So, um, yeah, yeah it's, re- it's really, really interesting. And how do you feel that our habits um, or, or do you feel the habits change due to COVID? I mean, a lot of businesses pivoted um, and, you know, we know bricks and mortar stores changed the way that they were driving their sales um, through e-commerce, better e-commerce platforms and, um, you know, omni-channel experiences for for consumers. Uh, You know, in your opinion, do you feel that COVID has had a massive impact on the shift to mobile? Yes, absolutely. We actually saw that within a three-month period at the onset of COVID that mobile habits essentially um, accelerated 
uh, 12 months within that time frame. So where we had forecast mobile behavior to be, we actually hit it within like one quarter. Um, so that was a pretty impressive thing to see. And then we've seen constantly each quarter, these habits have deepened. And we've seen that per day usage, um, the average time people are spending per user right now in Australia, it's about 4.6 hours mm. on average. That's been increasing each quarter. So we've really seen some strong growth in like just engagement and what people are, how they're spending their time on mobile, um, and so I think that, that that's a really big key. Um, some funny areas that we saw as well, specific to sectors were um, health and fitness apps. The beginning of COVID, real, everybody was like, I'm going to work out so much during this <laughs> lockdown. Or <whatever>, you know. <laughs> yeah. And in markets like the UK, we saw a huge surge of downloads. We saw a huge surge of like usage, people opening those apps and using them. And we saw a natural sort of tapering, but it, it actually remained relatively stable for a few weeks after. In the U.S., we saw a huge surge of downloads for health and fitness apps. So Americans were super optimistic about working <laughs> out. And then we saw the usage just drop off. <laughs> they quickly gave up. Um, it, it came back. It ticked back up. Um, but immediately, I think it was like this, woof, okay, maybe I, maybe I won't. Um, and then we see things like food delivery and grocery delivery. That was another sector that really uh, yeah. usage on mobile was catalyzed essentially we were already doing a lot of it but it really just supercharged um, how much we each rely on it or possibly getting people into it for the first time and we actually saw that you know we we keep hitting kind of new highs each quarter for uh, what we call like total sessions which would be like what we would say is sort of a digital foot traffic if you will mm -hmm. so you're opening that every time you open that app it's essentially an opportunity for purchase or checking your order or um browsing food to see what you want yeah. to order. Um, we've seen that that increased year over year about 30%, that total sessions in Australia, and it's gone up each time, which for us is we're seeing a little bit of slowdown in downloads, which makes sense, but more that people are using these apps more. So sort of this, I'm not going to say post-pandemic, we're very much still in it, but the attitude a little bit right now is like, let's try to be more life as normal. Yeah. Um, and we're seeing in this time, that the reality is people are still actively um, kind of relying on these services. And so those habits are being deepened. Um, yeah. They're not sort of abandoning, you know, oh, I'm I'm able to go out and do all these things now. It's actually, it's a part of their lifestyle. Yeah. Um, it's, it's more habitual. Oh, definitely, definitely. I mean, I know that, um, I mean, even when you just talked about, you know, um, using your phone to watch Netflix or Prime. And like, I know that even though I've got it on my TV, I'll just go to my phone and Chromecast it, you know, and doing everything from there. I think people just, yeah, like you said, I think habits have just changed a lot. So um, people have just become become so accustomed and used to using their phones for everything and relying on their phones. Um, Absolutely. So, yeah, definitely. And are there any demographic differences we should note? Yeah, that's a very interesting sector. We were looking at, so the food and drink space, again, is really, really interesting. We saw that in Australia, um, Gen Z, so that's you know, the youngest demographic bucket we yeah. look at, basically were heavy, heavy users of fast food apps. So these apps skewed more towards Gen Z. So Macca's and KFC and Hungry Jack's and things. Um, we also saw for food delivery, DoorDash was the one that kind of over-indexed for Gen Z using it. Whereas millennials, the top apps that sort of skewed towards the millennial bucket were 
food delivery. So, you know, your Uber Eats, your Deliveroo, your menu log. Um, and then for the Gen X kind of baby boomer bucket that we have, um, we actually saw that like Dan Murphy's and like Vivino Wine Scanner were big. <laughs> yeah. So we're seeing, you see those trends emerge and like things kind of shake out differently. So it, it can give you a lot of information for if you have a competitor in that sector and you want to grow um, your user base more, you kind of get a better feel for, okay, well, this food delivery app is doing very well with Gen Z. So I need to try to uh, piggyback and like, you know, maybe you incorporate some of their, um, you know, advertising keywords in your search ad strategy or something like that, um, or your app store search ads in particular. Um, so that I think that's a really interesting area. We also yeah. see in uh, the entertainment space for video streaming apps, things look very different as well by generation. Um, so Gen Z, the apps that kind of over-index are Anime Lab and Crunchyroll, which are all manga anime um, video streaming apps. Um, and that's true. Crunchyroll had a breakout year um, and a breakout quarter in particular, but a bre breakout year last year in a lot of uh, Western markets. So U.S., Australia, um, Canada, U.K., but with the young demographic base in particular. Okay. Um, for millennials, we see... Um, things like Stan and Binge and Amazon Prime, they're sort of over-indexing for millennials. Mm -hmm. We also see uh, Yuku, which is um, out of China, and we also see ABC Kids. So things that like maybe the person who owns the phone might be a millennial, but obviously might be letting their kids look at things. Yeah. Um, and then for Gen X and Baby Boomers, we actually see more um, traditional television channel-based apps over-indexing. So SBS On Demand, Freeview, FV, uh, FV, ABC, iView, um, Foxtel Guide even. So you get a real clear picture, a little bit of what sort of personas are using which apps, um, yeah. which you can do a lot with from a marketing standpoint, user acquisition. Um, yeah, it's a very rich data set there. Uh, but those are just some of the examples. Yeah, and that's really interesting because it's just not something that you would, I mean, for me, I would even think about. But when you say it, I'm like, yeah, like, yeah, I, that's probably where I would go. Do you think, and this is just, you know, going slightly off, off, off topic, but do you think that's because, um, those are the apps that came out during that generation? Or do you think it's the way the apps work that contribute to that? Like, what do you think, what do you think causes those demographics? Because ultimately DoorDash, still does the same thing that Deliveroo and Uber does. So why is it that somebody like me might go to an Uber and a Deliveroo and some, you know, my son might yes. go? To, yeah, like what, what do you think causes that that drive to those particular? Yeah, it can be. I mean, it, it a lot of the times it can be like the targeting of, of who's the advertisements. Are they targeting uh, people who are, you know, using TikTok or are they targeting, you know, right. piggybacking on like creating audiences that are more um, working professionals? Um, so it kind of depends, I think. Um, sometimes it's a price point. Um, oftentimes it can also be, um, you know, the cost of a delivery. So if they off, you know, if the promotion might be, you know, on DoorDash, you can get five free orders or five free delivery orders. Like that could be enough, especially for Gen Z. They tend yeah. to not have the same um, economic disposable income. Um, so that could be a factor. Um, it, it really does depend. Sometimes you can see it a little bit more clearly in other sectors. I think for, for instance, in the entertainment space with thinking about SBS on demand and Freeview yeah. and ABC iView, those are all essentially free ad-based products, um, which 
you know, whereas binge and stan and prime are all subscription based. Right. So there might be a difference in budget or just willingness to, um, and like familiarity with subscribing for a service like that. Cause you know, it's very different to your traditional cable package. Um, so I think that that's can be part of it. It's also sometimes the subject matter. So in the U S we saw with like game of Thrones every year or every time a season came out, you'd see this massive spike in downloads of their app. So it's yes. driven by that exclusive content. Sure. Um, so it could be some of the shows that some of these generationally people like they yeah. go and can get them on certain programs too. Definitely. Definitely. And then also probably when you're talking about sort of, you know, the, the, the older generation, I guess it's, um, it's probably even a sense of we know these these broadcasters or these companies are reliable, so we know what we're going to read is reliable. How how reliable is this? We don't really know, so they tend to go to what yeah. they what they sort of grown up with and feel um, that you know that the information they get from there is probably going to be a little bit more accurate, even if yeah. it may not be. So I think it's just a mindset thing as well, isn't it? And familiarity with the brand, right? Like people yeah. know Foxtel or they know ABC, mm. you know, and it's it's something, you know, there's so many digital players out there now. Maybe it's like, oh, I don't even know what this is. What is Stan or Binge? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, and Prime has the benefit as well, like of basically you've got natural synergies across your Amazon properties where if you pay for Amazon Prime for cheap right. delivery, then Amazon Prime Videos, a natural extension of that. Um, so there's a bit of that at play as well. If, if people are particularly digitally savvy and using subscriptions for other entities as well. Um, yeah. 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 And how, um, you know, for, for the audience's benefit and organizations that might be thinking about, um, you know, looking at their mobile um, sort of strategy, how does this data help businesses grow their top line? Yes, there's um, there's a, a lot of different ways. I think there's, this data is very rich. I think um, understanding how you stack up and um, what features you have or, or the lack of features you might have against your competitors, it really gives you that that clear bird's eye view of the landscape and where you might need to funnel more, uh, you know, more of your product roadmap into or budgeting into. Um, it shows you what sectors are growing really quickly for partnerships or for, um, you know, sometimes acquisitions. You might be able to acquire something in a tangential space that works really well. Um it also is really good, you know, I'd mentioned every app session is sort of like digital, is that foot traffic, if you will. Um, and so I think that at the end of the day, if you have an app on mobile, um, every session, every engagement is an opportunity to kind of surprise and delight that customer. Whether you are a utilities provider and providing a service and just being ease, able to like essentially have a chat box and communicate through that with your audience versus having people call in um, and having the experience be faster and more efficient and less friction. Maybe that's enough to like, you delight your user a little bit yeah. more and they're just a little bit more, uh, a little bit happier. They don't switch to a different electricity provider because they had this horrendous experience. Yeah. Um, so it's those types of things that can really, you know, downstream really help that top line as well, where you're, it's that engagement and retention. Also, mobile can really help, um, you know, if you start to see all my peers have um, a reoccurring order feature and I don't have one and it looks like they're getting a lot more traction on a weekly basis. The average user is coming back, you know, eight times instead of five. Mm -hmm. um, maybe that's something I need to incorporate and that can have that direct impact on, you know, reoccurring orders, shipping, um, you know, your baskets, actually your conversion rate goes up. So I think there's some very tangible ways you can see it. 
And then in the mobile world, we've also seen the rise of privacy concerns and companies like Apple and Google introducing measures to, um, you know, mitigate those concerns. So, um, you know, based with IDFA last in 2020, um, 2021, we saw, is that 2020? I think that might've been actually 2020. I'm losing track from all the (laughs) blurring together. But basically what we see is that, um, oh, it's 2020 when that was implemented. So there's less sort of, you're not able to see as much granular data on how your ads are performing um, down, you know, the KPIs around those ads and you're not getting that granular targeting. Um, so some of mobile data like this is kind of contextual market data can help you understand strategically which markets to go in an environment where you actually don't have as much uh, of a view into that data yeah. as you used to because there are increasing, you know, there's cookie deprecations and things happening. Yeah. Um, so it gives you that context. So you're not feeling like you're flying blind. You don't have the same granularity, but you still have something that can give you that context that you need. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And in terms of, I suppose, um, organizations that are perhaps thinking about um, optimizing and enhancing their mobile strategy, where would they potentially start? I think the biggest thing, I mean, it, it kind of depends on each organization, but I think at the end of the day, um, one of the best ways to start, in my opinion, is to just understand what your market looks like yeah. uh, because it's very fast moving space. There's a lot of awesome tech out there. And so kind of getting a feel for your competitive landscape is a really great way that can highlight inefficiencies and gaps that you might have right away. Um, I think from a data side, you know, we looking at some kind of a sentiment score is important. So to understand if your consumers even like your app in the early days, the U.S., Finance market moves very slow. Um, there's a lot of regulations yeah. in the US and banking apps for a long, way longer than we thought would be normal. Um, some of the traditional retail banks were still having a ton of negative app store reviews on their apps for basic functionality, like getting past the login screen and things like that, where um, I think those that's a great place to kind of start is looking yeah. at your sentiment, but then also looking at your peers because you might, you know, your internal metrics might show that you've done well, you've grown your user base 10%, and that, that's pretty good, right? But in the context of your peer group, you might rank ninth and then doesn't look as great anymore. <laughs> yeah. And then you want to drill down into that data. So um, I think that's why some, our data set is great where you you can do that. You can look at your peers and see exactly right. um, what their metrics are, the estimates for those metrics, You know, their monthly active users, how they stack up to yours. Um, what does their demographic base look like compared to yours? Um, and all that information will start to paint a picture of, okay, where do I really fit in this landscape? Um, and am I growing or am I losing people? Are they, you know, is it a positive experience for them or are people complaining about some glitches and I, what happened? Where are these glitches coming from? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, excellent. Um, and look, I'm sure um, after hearing um, this episode, there'll be, you know, potentially people that will be sort of interested and intrigued into how, I suppose, data AI potentially could help support that or give them um, some strategies around what they could be doing. Um, you know, is there options for people who have budget constraints um, and, uh, you know, might want to utilize your services is a different sort of how do they go about it do you do they subscribe yes. to you or what's the sort of process just in case there's somebody that's sort of listening going hey we would love to understand a bit more about our market what's the yes. process so i think the best way um 
is you can sign up for free at data.ai. Um, and there's a, I believe it's a seven-day period where we will unlock like the premium product for you to have a look and get a snapshot of info. Um, and then that can start the conversations on if right. you want to have it ongoing. Um, but we do have, we also have a free, uh, free sort of non-premium that is free forever. Mm -hmm. So you're, you know, welcome to use that. I encourage you to make an account. Um, and then also our blog, uh, which is where a lot of the insights my team writes about, um, it's data.ai slash insights. And we publish reports and analyses all the time. Um, mm -hmm. so it can give a lot of that initial, uh, we, we go deep on some, you know, we'll do teardowns yeah. of games and things. Um, so there is a level of depth you can find, but there's also generally a, a good snapshot, a good amount of reports. Um, and every January, we do our big state of mobile report, which gives a really nice overview. And we touch on, I think, like 13 different, you know, industries as well. Um, so it's a really good sort of starting place to, to kind of get a feel for things, too. Excellent. And is there a particular um, theme of industries that you, uh, you know, focus on over others or? We, well, we, I mean, mobile is pretty much uh, across all industries yeah. at this stage. So gaming is a big sector, uh, roughly um, over a third of all downloads are in games mm -hmm. um, and around two-thirds of all consumers spend through the app stores is in games. Yeah. Um, so games is a big sector. We also look um, at retail quite closely mm -hmm. and travel. Um, we look at um, health and fitness, um, the entertainment sector, social. Yeah. We've got a great social report that went out last year. Um, we do publish blogs frequently on on smaller sectors. So we, we also just published a couple analyses on, one was on pets apps. Mm -hmm. um, so how people are, you know, spending, even in the context of a market with, um, inflation and concerns about a recession, we're still seeing really strong usage and um, pets apps. So people are prioritizing, making sure their pets get the things they need during this time. Um, and then we also had an analysis that went out about the rising gas prices in the U.S. correlated with um, interest in electric vehicle charging map apps. Yeah. Um, and we've seen a almost one-to-one -one correlation of peaks in the, the gas prices with peaks in downloads for, for that sector. So we do cover all sorts of things. Right. Um, we've we've also pulled in some of the automobile manufacturer apps and what we're seeing for um, people who are downloading those. And sometimes it's you know to start your car remotely, or it's because you know players like Hyundai um, and Ford have released electric vehicles in the past year and have uh, EV charging maps embedded in the app as well. Um, and so those have done very well in terms of sessions where we could see a natural. Um, extension of people buying more electric vehicles and they happen to be these two guys who've come out in a big way that this was specific to the u.s market but um and that adoption in the app has grown as a result too and so there's lots of stuff we cover yeah we try to cover uh, as many sectors as possible but ultimately following what's really been interesting in the market what people are are covering um, and what they're using yeah, yeah, awesome. And I suppose to wrap things up, if I were to ask you, um, you know, for our listeners, for somebody who was sort of listening in and and sort of thinking that you know they might want to consider this, um, what you know, what what question do you think they should be asking themselves if they're sort of listening in and think that they've got a really good mobile strategy, or they may not have one, or they're doing it and they're they're doing it, you know, maybe not as well. What one thing do you think that, you know, organizations or data leaders should be considering right now? What questions should they be sort of thinking about? 
Um, two questions I think would be kind of what don't I know? Like what is out there that I actually haven't even thought of? And I think that that's where a lot of the data can tell some very interesting stories um, and illuminate just the things that you just hadn't thought of yet. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I think the other side of things is sort of indications of where the market's going and how to best react. Um, And we can sometimes get indications of that based on other markets. So, you know, something happens in the US and then later comes to Australia or the UK or a similar economy um, is behaving in a similar way, or a sector is all of a sudden kind of exploding. And what does that mean? Um, We're seeing, you know, budgeting and uh, sort of budgeting kind of fintech apps really take off in the US. There's Mm -hmm. also um, an indication of, uh, as I mentioned, coupon apps in Australia doing very well right now. We've also seen, um, you know, peer-to-peer marketplaces for fashion. Yeah. doing very well. Um, so I think that those are things that are important. You know, what are the the, the trends in the market that can indicate, um, help me inform my strategy to get in front of things um, and yeah. shifts that are coming? I think okay. that's another key one. Excellent. Thank you so much for that. Thank you, Alexi. It's been, uh, honestly, it's been really insightful. I feel like I overused that word. Um, but no, genuinely, <laughs> it's been really interesting. And I think there's some some great um, you know, information that you've shared there. If any of the audience did want to reach out to you, happy for them to connect with you on LinkedIn and, and reach out to you directly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, feel free to add me on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter, but not very active. But <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Lexi Zito um, is my handle. So you can find me on the socials. <laughs> Awesome. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for giving um, giving us all, um, you know, uh, an idea of what's going on in the Australian mobile landscape and, um, you know, and sharing some of these stats with us. It's It's been an absolute pleasure um, having you on the show. Oh, thank you. It's been really great. Thanks for asking me to come. <laughs> no worries. Thanks, Lexi. Thanks.